It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable podcast. This is podcast number 636. My name is Eric Nelson. With me today, I have my regular co host, Matt Lungeth. Today is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. Matt, how's it going today? Eric, I'm continuing to be a running fool. My pursuit towards that 5K coming up here in the middle of the March is, you know, sadly, continuing forward. Uh, my legs, body, and just general disposition is most certainly feeling it. But nonetheless, here we are. Uh-huh. More importantly, sir, how are you doing? How are things out there on the West Coast? And most importantly, what is the color of the bay today? Matt, I just have one follow-up question. It, uh, for your quest for the running is there a particular female involved with this quest? No, not, not really. Not, I mean, there, there's always Callie the there is right. my significant other, okay. and she has been very supportive right. but of she's, this. But she's not. But the, since yeah, the middle of right. December, right. Uh, for whatever reason, I have run through, forgive the pun, a seven-day-a-week workout cycle that uh. goes between strength training, rowing, um, a little bit of cycling, and then treadmill work. Uh, and then the treadmill work, as of late in preparing for the 5K, has progressed from the treadmill to, you know, heaven Very forbid, good. actually running outside like the fool that I am. Kudos so, to I, you. Kudos I to would you. encourage anyone that, yep. that yep. has thought about that out there in the community. Um, I was never a runner. I was never someone that was into, you know, big-time physical activity on any type of reg- regimen. And I have noticed significant both physical and mental health differences. So it's in your power. If a um, couch potato like me can do it, I'd encourage anybody else to, to get awesome. on that bang wagon. Awesome. Well, let me tell you, in California, we've had a windstorm come through, knocked down trees all day yesterday and part of today. Uh, I was out in my Jeep and I had to go around three different trees in the, in the area to uh, get through. So we've just had... Cold, windy, windy weather gusts 60 to 70 miles an hour in the Bay Area, which is enough to take out power all over the place and uh, and take on some trees. So, you know, uh, it has been an interesting time, but the weather is beautiful and we've had plenty of rain. We're still getting rain. Reservoirs are full up. And so California will be out of the drought. Uh, well, at least out of water shortages, uh, which is fantastic. On the show today, uh, we have Nils Hagort. Um, we're going to be talking about VMC uh, A, the new instance type, and we're going to talk to Nils about you know the new instance type. There's a you know some nice new features in uh, in what's coming out on the platform, and so Nils will come and uh, share share what new features are going to come out in this new type on VMC and AWS. So uh, Nils will be here. But before we do, Nils. Uh, 
Matt, as always, you know, the fun part of February coming into March is that we start planning seriously for our VMworld or ah, put another dollar in the cup, uh, VMware Explorer. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be kind of exciting. That tip jar, I mean, that, it's getting significant these days. I I'm mean, just going to write it, a 10K check. That should cover me the rest of my life, right? We'll just put it in the kitty and, you know, buy everybody shirts or something. And that way I can just call it VMworld for the rest of time, right? But uh yeah, so excited about that, Matt. Uh, we've been doing planning, uh, you know, and what I would say this year is that uh, travel budgets are going to be kind of interesting and tight uh, as we've been kind of in a little bit of recession. I'm hoping by the time we roll around to v VMware Explorer, you know, things will loosen up a bit. And so start doing your planning early if you're going to going to show up. It's going to be a fun community event. We're war working with the the, the event team, they've been working directly with us. Uh, it's in US, it's going to be in the, uh, Vegas this year in the Venetians, which if you've ever been to the Venetians, a beautiful hotel, beautiful area. Have the dates been announced? They Do we have. know the dates for, yeah. for those August, that are out there to be planning? August 21st through the 24th in Vegas. So August 21 through 24, which is, I think, a little bit earlier. Uh, that's like about a week earlier than sometimes we've had it. Uh, usually it's 28th through September 3rd. This is uh, 21 through the 24th at the Venetian. And then Explore Europe is November 6th through the 9th uh, uh, in Spain at the Standard Conference Center there. So, you know, that's fairly regular. So it should be exciting. Uh, looking forward to the US one back in Vegas. You can get $25 rooms uh, at, uh, what is it, the Excalibur? Not a bad room for $25 a night. Uh, if you get a cheap flight, you know, you can be in and out of VMworld um, with, uh, you know, with only a five, five or $600 cost. And then, of course, you have the ticket price, right, depending on whether you can get a session accepted or become a blogger and, you know, get a blogger invite. The, there are ways to get in without paying that uh, $2,000 price tag for the for the week long start early if you're self-funding yeah. for those of that have been out there myself included that have had to do it start early book that hotel reservation just like any other trip and monitor your flight costs um you know historically the earlier you book uh, sometimes that's the better you can always uh, i would say look to see if there would be price concessions but the longer you the wait the more the expensive that's out there and eric as you had mentioned if you're looking for that pass where you know the company's not reimbursing you or, or you don't have that that ability to, to use credits that are out there uh, within your VMware account, there is other ways to do so. If, if you have a, a, an entrance, reach out to your local vExpert, reach out to your TAM, reach out to a vExpert Pro, and we yeah. can talk about the ways to get you there. Yeah, that's right. If you are in self-funding mode, uh, the, the other thing is the last two years, because of the pandemic, it was a little trickier. They are going to open up more passes for bloggers this year. So there will be traditionally 100 passes for bloggers that we, we, that we deal with. Uh, the pandemic that brought that down to like 25 right so but now you know we're, we're back in the game full stop so we will have additional passes uh for vmware code uh we used to give passes if you were doing a technical you know developer session uh we're going to try to bring some of that back so there will be more flexibility in us helping people out where, you know, the last two years, it was basically, we didn't have much leeway what we could do. I think this year will be a bit different and I'm planning accordingly. So yeah. Uh, yep. 
Speaking of changes, I understand that there might be some venue differences as it comes to some of the community sites that or community areas that we have uh, previously known before. Yeah, you know, the other the funny thing about the show has always been that VMUG was always, you know, an independent org that was wherever they were. They were a lot of times in the expo hall and then maybe one area upstairs, third floor somewhere uh, and maybe one other little lounge somewhere. Then we had the, the champions program. The champions program was somewhere else. Then we had the code and the expert program. We were somewhere else. This year, we're you know trying to bring all that together so that we'll have a village of sorts so that you know you should be able to go. And with that should be some momentum of giveaways and things that we're doing together. So it should be fun. I think this year we'll actually have a village uh, at the events where everybody can hang out and maybe do some fun, cool things. The event team has recognized and maybe some of Broadcom has recognized that community is super important. I was talking to uh, one of my friends who works at IBM. He's a director there, runs community, uh, Marius, and he used to work at VMware. And Marius says that Broadcom has been a big investor in community. In fact, they they compete with sponsorships. So uh, IBM tries to out-sponsor Broadcom and Broadcom always wins because they come in with like half a million dollars and outbid IBM for community sponsorship events. So apparently Broadcom is a big investor and understands community more than even we've talked about in the past. So that was an interesting story from Marius. So um, yeah, should be a great environment and pulling it all together and investing in community. And then they are doing these, you know, uh, sessions with the experts and champions and VMUG to try to figure out what else we can be doing to highlight community content, get more community content into schedule builder. And so uh, definitely rotating the community um, knob to the right here, which is, which is good. So fun, fun times. With that, let's get on with the show. I can't wait to talk to Nils. So, uh, Nils, uh, we always start with uh, tell us who you are, how long you've been in uh, in the IT industry, and you know how long you've been at VMware, and what do you do? We're a community podcast, so we like to spend a few minutes talking to you and who you are. Yeah, obviously, fine. It's um, first of all great to be on the show. Um, I've been a fan about the whole VMware community in itself, actually. So I've been in the in this space for about 20 years. Um, first started off at, as your your typical v, uh, old Windows Windows engineer, uh, purchasing or purchasing, going after the the MCSE uh, certification tra uh, track, did all that, and I, I believe somewhere in 2007, 2008, actually started working with VMware solutions. So obviously we had around ESXi 3.0, 3.5 maybe. We started fooling around with it a little bit. Um, obviously witnessed vMotion, which has been a, 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 a topic that I talk a lot about in presentations nowadays still. Um, worked our way up to ESXi 4 because that was actually the first version where we released distributed switch, I believe. And we were, or I was working with my team uh, on a large uh, ISP, an internet service provider here in the Netherlands. Um, and distributed switch changed how we actually could provide as a sort of IS service to our customers because now we have consistency across of all of these hosts. So fell in love with VMware basically back then. Um, 
went to the first VMOG here in the Netherlands, which is actually pretty close to my hometown uh, around, uh, what was it, 2014, I think. That was the same time when I actually started blogging. And, and that VMOG, that, that, changed, that changed my career path, I guess, because now all of a sudden I witnessed all these guys standing on stage sharing knowledge uh, that whole community aspect, right? So I needed to do to do my part. Uh, I, I felt like it. So started blogging, um, started visiting my first VMworld actually in 2014, and it blew my mind. The the number of sessions, everybody there just meeting up with peers, talking about what you see in your daily life when it comes to VMware solutions. It was it was definitely such a great experience. And since that uh, VMworld, I actually never skipped another VMworld. So I, I've been lucky enough to do all the VMworlds and now explore, obviously, for both uh, US and, and uh, Europe since then. Um, started actually to present at the local VMUGs as well. Uh, over the years, started to add more VMUGs across Europe. And again, be lucky enough to do a lot of VMUGs in, in the US, for example, as well. Um, met up with another fellow Dutchie, uh, well, we refer to ourselves as Dutchies, but folks from the Netherlands uh, who actually helped me with a couple of things because I did presentations, I, did, I was blogging, uh, I started working with a couple of buddies of mine on the VCDX uh, um, certification as well. So in 2015, I, I had my defense in the UK in Staines, our, our EMEA head office uh, for VMware. Niels, who's, who was on your defense panel? Oh, Thomas Foyta and two others who I <laughs> can't remember anymore. It's It's been a while, uh, Matt, sorry. I'm not that good with names, to be honest. Um, but hey, it, especially Thomas, he was he was ex asking me uh, some, some pretty gnarly questions. <laughs> and it was, in hindsight, it was a great experience. But I remember uh, being pretty nervous just before my, uh, just before my defense. And if I may ask, was your scenario based on a customer or real world implementation or was it more mock? No, and it was definitely based on a customer customer um, implementation that I was working on. And I've been active as a VCDX mentor for quite some years after the fact. Um, and that was always one of the, the key questions, uh, Matt. Because if you do it, to, uh, if you're actually actively working on a project with a customer, it makes life easier because now you really need to think through uh, constraints, business requirements, and all of that stuff. And yes, you can do it with a fictional de um, fictional deployment as well, but I would argue that it makes life a little bit more difficult on that front. Certainly, right? You, you know what the customer's responses are going to be in, in exactly. many instances and how... In the customer asking questions, what the questions that might come from the panel in regards to certain scenarios or configurations or constraints or limitations. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, customers have the craziest business requirements out there, right? So you need to work around those as well. And then, uh, that makes it fun, fun as well. Like I mentioned, in hindsight, it was fun. Uh, right before the defense, it honestly wasn't <laughs> because of nerves. But okay, I, I managed to get a VCDX um, 
And then I started at a large telco company and really focusing on the performance within ESXi because they were virtualizing a, a, a voice over LTE platform. Um, and I needed to, to dive deep into vSwitches, how to tune ESXi, um, all of that stuff. That led me to meet up with a, a buddy of mine, Frank Deneman, who is also living in the Netherlands here. And at one point, he was working a lot with Numa and uh, um, memory within ESXi. Um, at one point, we decided to actually write this all down in a book. So in 2016, uh, we co-authored uh, both uh, the, the host resources deep dive book. That book led to some meetings with um, my um, with my first role in VMware because I was working as a freelance contractor uh, at that stage. Um, so I actually had a, a nice deal with a, a technology partner to, to give away some books at the Indianapolis VMUG in 2018, if I recall correctly. And luckily, uh, after some previous uh, tries for me to actually start working for VMware because I wanted to join a mothership, right? And I did all that presentation blogging. I wanted to do that uh, for my daily uh, job if, if, if the scenario would present itself. And luckily it did because I met up with Adam Eckerly, um, now at Rubric, um, but was able to join his team, which was such a great experience because now it's actually your daily job and your responsibility to dive into ESXi, um, all of that stuff that I've already been working on. So that was great. As I mentioned, did uh, quite some VMUG presentations, VMworlds, um, and uh, just, I believe, 2017 co-wrote uh, uh, the latest version still of the clustering deep dive book together with Frank and Duncan because there was a series that they had uh, around for quite a while. It's due for an update, definitely, because that's still vSphere 6.7, I believe. So... Um, yeah, and, and then uh, worked uh, tech marketing uh, for vSphere ESXi, uh, everything resource management, hardware accelerators, you name it, lifecycle, all good stuff. And then moved to the VMware Cloud on AWS team um, in, in 2021, the end of it, I believe. And that was interesting itself because it's still vSphere, um, but running on top of a hyperscaler, basically, right? Um, and that led to another... Well, a lot of interesting takes on it. I, I focus a lot of migration because I like vMotion. Um, actually, when talking about vMotion, I'm currently writing a book with, together with an engineer about vMotion specifically. But that all applies on-prem for vSphere on-prem, but also for VMware Cloud. Because once you run VMware Cloud on whatever hyperscaler, it makes life easy to to migrate into that, right? It's well, we can use HCX, we have advanced cross-fees and vMotion, but when we are talking live migration, it's always vMotion logic that, that comes into play. So yeah. I can jabber on yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. this topic forever, but that's <laughs> that's yeah. the career uh, path until now. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And you know, I've been explaining to people when you talk about multi-cloud and you talk about um, you know, where VMware is going. It's like, I, I try to build the analogy and you can decide if this is right or not, is, you know, ESX and vSphere allowed you to build this 
plane across multiple racks of hardware, right? And then all of a sudden your VM was free to move from one rack to another and the hardware was abstracted, right? And I don't see anything different in the cloud environment, except instead of racks of hardware, you're just looking at, you know, hyperscaler data center instances, right? But you're still doing motion of the, you know, of your compute loads across you know, racks of hardware, right, that are now just sitting at different hyperscaler companies, right? And so I look at that and going, you know, if we can create a vSphere, a multi-cloud vSphere that allows you to do that same activity, I don't see any difference in the the behavior of what our software offers, you know, customers. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's like this, this um, slightly different abstraction layer that we created because we did so for hardware to your point right, right. we virtualize compute networking storage all of that right and we do the same thing for public cloud uh, or hyperscale as if uh, right as they call them uh, as well yeah right and i i you know it gets a little tricky when you then start talking about the app itself and whether the apps have you know interfaces built into what type of interfaces um Amazon gives you, they give you all, you know, when you go to reInvent now, there are hundreds of sessions of APIs that they'll deliver for you that you can then embed in your application. And if you embed your application, you know, now all of a sudden moving your application from one hyperscaler to another, you know, you get lock-in based on the APIs that you're consuming from these guys. So it's not as easy because sometimes there is API lock-in, but assuming you're smart enough not to do that to your app, then that that vision holds true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's well, I kind of like the fact that I, I was at reInvent for the first time last year. Actually, uh, wow, that, that was a crazy large event. Yeah, eye <laughs> opener when you go there. Right? If yeah. you haven't been to reInvent yeah. before, it the the scale of it is yeah, it is immense. It is yeah, it's. I like uh, I like that uh, you were talking about uh, Explore this year being back at Las Vegas. I think that is a great uh, Phoenician even. I kind of like Mandalay as well, but Phoenician is uh, uh, definitely a nice place to be at. Uh, reInvent is is the Venetian Palazzo. It's uh, partially Mandalay MGM. It's all over the strip. It's it's insane. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. But uh, uh, but I I see our value in abstracting out the hardware layer at the at the, the multi the the big cloud providers, right? Uh, hyperscalers. So yeah, I, I I like that. So getting into now uh, your experience of people putting workload workloads on uh, VMC, right? I mean, it's a real thing. We have big customers doing it now. Um, what's your thoughts? I mean, we're going to talk about the new release that's coming out. What's your thoughts on, uh, you know, the, how it works for customers and uh, the traction there uh, with regard to your perspective. And then they will talk about, you know, the new features that are coming from, uh, you know, cloud flex computing environment that's out there to other pieces and storage that's coming. So we'll start in with, uh, you know, maybe three or four minutes of your industry assessment of VMC now, and, and then we can talk about features specifically. You know, yeah, in the follow-up to, to that, I, I also kind of want to frame this for our listeners is the current state of VMC, right? We think of this as an IaaS platform within the hyperscalers. We have it out there for GCP. We have it out there for Azure and whatnot. 
And above and beyond bare metal that now we have spun up our SDBC stack on, what is the current capabilities or extensions of capabilities now that we have the SDBC deployed on these bare metal instances? What's within the purview? What, what are we able to do as far as these workloads? What extensions do we have out there? What are we able to do for as far as you know, automation and life cycling and redundancy within those bare metal instances? Now, the state of the union, if you will, for BMC. That's, a, that's fair. <laughs> and there's quite a lot, actually. Um, okay, so where to start? I, first of all, I like the fact that we've been talking about migration, uh, maybe lock in if 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 you actually have an API lock in maybe for a specific workload. Talking to a lot of customers, what they didn't realize when we when we started with this service, because this was the first hyperscaler that we supported, right? Um, and at the background, this is actually our service. So VMers, they're our own server service, uh, which we jointly engineered with AWS, obviously. All the other hyperscalers, we work closely together with them. That is a jointly engineered service as well. But looking at Google, looking at Azure, looking at Alibaba, looking at Oracle, IBM, all of these are, it's it's their, the, the partner, their service, and we are supporting it. So it's the other way around. So that is interesting, I think. Um, customers, when we first launched this in 2017, I believe, we only started with a couple of AWS regions where this is actually possible to deploy your, uh, your software-defined data centers, your SDDCs. Um, it, it, I would argue that traction was a little bit slow because moving into cloud is, well, it's scary, right? And uh, it took a while for customers to understand, look, hey, this is actually pretty easy to do. And I always tell customers, well, you have certain workloads that might fit better on edge, on-prem, um, or on a different hyperscaler maybe. Uh, VMware Cloud on AWS is not for everybody. And that is actually what I like about VMware Cloud as a, or, or our, our multi-cloud strategy, if you will, because you're not pinned to one specific deployment. I have had customers who are moving workloads from an on-prem infrastructure into VMware Cloud on AWS, but hey, guess what? That database backend, we still have some, some local connections that we need to have. It probably sits better on-prem and they move it back, right? So there's this back and forth that you can actually do with workloads. And I showcase this all the time. I, I do Think about that if we'd have to, if that customer would refactor the DB entirely to, to a native, well, AWS instance, right? We don't have that ability to test, you know, the data locality. Whereas if it maintains within our, let's call it hypervisor platform, regardless of whether that's on-prem or on one of these hyperscalers, if it doesn't work, it's a vMotion away. Exactly. It is, it is that easy. And I, I was saying that I show this all the time. There's obviously a lot of dependencies here as well from a networking security perspective, but Given a workload, just a plain good old workload, uh, it's easy enough to move them across hyperscalers even if you want to with VMware Cloud, but also back into uh, on-prem on models, if you will. So I think that is a really strong thing that we have going on with VMware Cloud um, and VMware Cloud on AWS specifically, maybe. The other thing is that 
it started to get a little bit more easy for customers to have the benefits of public cloud as well. So obviously there is global reach. Within your data center, you're basically pinpointed to one specific location. Maybe you have multiple data centers. We have customers that uh, have an office, for example. So a company based in the US and they have an office in, in Australia, for example, or something uh, APJ. In the APJ region, it's easy enough to spin up a SDDC close to that location. So there's that as well. And Obviously, you need subscriptions. This is not a free service, right? So you need to 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 pay for I it. Think but of the one... alternative, right? Where you would be either physically building out infrastructure or co-lowing, yeah. right, with within a local service provider. And of course, that might be an option. But for that expandability, right, and especially if they have done that before in an existing AWS region. Right, we can duplicate some of those best practices and configurations to then duplicate that VMC instance in another availability zone. Exactly, exactly. And we have constructs within NSX because, well, a little bit of a step back. It's good to understand that once you instantiate an SDDC with VMware Cloud on AWS, you'll get the full works, the vSphere, obviously, our beloved ESXi hypervisor running on top of a bare metal host, right? So there's typically customers uh, ask me if there's middleware in between. Uh, there's nothing. There's the EC2 instance from AWS. We run ESXi directly on top of it. There's vSAN for your, uh, your default data store and NSX. And those three make up, especially NSX, that we have a lot of flexibility on connectivity. So not only connect your on-prem into VMware Cloud on AWS instance, for example, but think about that scenario we were just talking about. When you have multiple SDDCs across the globe, we have some nifty stuff to really do efficient networking in between those SDDCs. So There's your pop for edge services for that particular yeah. region. Exactly, exactly. So um, yeah. Uh, Fast forward from 2017, where we launched the service, uh, where we are today is obviously- yeah, How many availability zones are we in now? Ooh, the exact number? No, we, we are in 22 regions, and okay. each and every region having approximately four availability zones. It's quite a lot. And actually, it's, it's funny when you really start looking into those region availability zones, because these are still data centers, right? Obviously, AWS data centers. But within a region, an availability zone, it, it's actually separated data centers where you are running in. So one of the cool things talking about availability zones here is that we have some availability features that customers can actually benefit from with VMware Cloud on AWS. And that is, the, the, so one of the key constructs within vSphere is vSphere HA, vSphere high availability, right? So in the on-prem world, if a host fails, those workloads running on that specific host will get restarted on surviving hosts. In the order that you can specify, that, that depending on that application package, if you will, or application stack that, that to, to properly stood back up in the correct order. So services are there and available for the, you know, let's call it the end user stack or end user application stack. Exactly, exactly. So. We use all of that in VMware Cloud on AWS as well, but when you think about availability, typically cluster, clusters are designed to withstand like, uh, well, depending on cluster size, obviously, but an X number of hosts. 
before availability actually comes uh, becomes compromised. Availability of those workloads running inside of the cluster. With VMware Cloud on AWS, you don't necessarily need to run into your on-prem or your co-located data center to replace that host or fix that host. Once we see a HA event triggered, because it could still be that a EC2 instance fails, we automatically uh, jump in a new fresh host, make sure that the availability, if you sign up basically for a, a eight node cluster or SDDC, uh, we make sure that that availability is guaranteed. So that is one of the nifty things that we can do with VMware Cloud and AWS compared to uh, on-prem. And we talked a little bit about elasticity as well, how you scale out. Well, guess what? We have our beloved DRS and within VMware Cloud and AWS, we have elastic DRS. So setting policies, you can actually automatically scale your cluster once you reach a certain threshold for storage or compute, stuff like that. If I'm building this by the book, right? If we're doing a prod instance, I know that the minimum number of hosts right now is three, I, be, I believe, because of the witness requirement. Two? Yeah, we do, we do some, uh, yeah, well, yeah. you only have to pay for a two host um, okay. SDDC, uh, and we can still, oh, wait a minute, you're talking stretch clusters or? Well, let's just say that, that it, if there, there's a two-part question with this. One, what's the minimum number of hosts if I would be doing a POC? Ah. And then you had mentioned eight hosts as far as a, you know, instance that was out there if we would have an HA event. If I'm building this by the book, for a prod cluster within an availability zone within a region, what's the now recommended number of hosts should I want to put production workloads on it? So one, what's the new minimum? And two, what's the, the minimum for what you would consider to be production workloads? Hey, there's no easy answer, Matt. It, uh, well, the typical IT answer, I guess, it depends. Right? <laughs> well, and let's it, say, what do you see is the most common? So first of all, with uh, VMware Cloud, we make sure that we have the adequate uh, HA admission control policy set up for you. So you don't need to even worry about that. We have fixed SLAs. Um, with an on-prem environment, yeah, it really depends on, on uh, the, um, the number of hosts in your specific cluster. Uh, yeah, it's uh, to my, what I said before, it really depends. There's no fixed number that I see. I know what we do on the back end with VMware Cloud and AWS, and that is still a percentage-based, uh, what most of the customers were using, uh, I think, today, uh, because the other options, uh, dedicated fillover hosts or uh, stick with a, a slot size, uh, that, that typically takes a little bit too much effort into actually calculating what you need available in that specific host. So the percentage-based is definitely the way to go in a lot of scenarios, I would argue, and we do the same thing for, for VMware Cloud and AWS. Now, to your first question about the number of hosts that you actually need for a POC, for example, uh, we do some magic that you can start with on one host, as you see, actually. So that is interesting because, well, we are talking vSAN still but we can do vSAN on a single host. Obviously, this is without any SLA or whatever. This is just a proof of concept, just a 60-day period. And after that 60-day period, that one single host will get uh, um, decommissioned automatically. 
So it's a fixed time, but we have one host, uh, uh, one host opportunities for customers to do POCs. Now, um, the minimum number of a production SDDC can already be a two host cluster, right? Still, you need to think about the actual resources that are available to you, because if you instantiate your first SDDC, um, part of that first cluster within that SDDC that you're spinning up, even though it's only two hosts, is that you need room to accommodate uh, um, the, the management cluster. So we need resources for vCenter server appliance, uh, right. NSX appliances, uh, potentially. Well, so we had an on-prem, right? If we're doing this by the book is we have our workload domains and we have our management domain, right? Exactly. So that concept still applies regardless yep. of whether we're out on a hyperscaler or not. Exactly. So this is um, um, an interesting topic because we have some maximum numbers. Eight is definitely not the maximum number for a per cluster host count. Uh, I believe a soft limit is in place around 16 hosts per cluster. Um, and that is, like I mentioned, a soft, soft limit. We have a lot of customers running larger clusters on this. But the two hosts start for a typical SDDC. Uh, before I, forget, I almost forget, we were talking HA. I quickly wanted to mention that we can do something that AWS can do without, out of the box, which is stretch clusters. Because we can have those availability zones. We were talking about that, right? And we can actually do, it's just tick in a box in the VMware Cloud Console, your web UI, your basically your entrance of the service. And when you create a SDDC, you can just hit the box stretch clusters. Yes, you would need double the hosts, obviously. You need an even number of hosts. Because, well, if, if you're familiar with stretch clusters, right? Well, you two are definitely uh, familiar. But if you're listening and you're not familiar, basically you have two availability zones uh, in one cluster construct where half of it can basically fail and you would still have enough resources to make sure that all of the workloads get started. We can do that on top of VMware Cloud on AWS. Is that limited to host within a region? So if we have availability zone one and two within a given region, right? I'm thinking. I see where you're going here. <laughs> U.S. East. Do we have the ability to do that across regions? No, not in the stretch cluster form because we're still bound to latency stuff like that for for vSAN to be uh, to be stretched as well. Um, so no, that is within a region but across different availability zones in that region. Th those can still be like uh, kilometers or miles from a, uh, apart from each other, right? So you have that, that, that SLA that we, uh, we up to, I believe, out of the top of my head, to 99.99% uptime SLA when it comes to stretch clusters, where typically with public cloud offerings, even with a single AZ SDDC on VMware Cloud on AWS, you get 99.9% as .9 lay uptime guarantee. So that's that's definitely something of consideration for customer who customers yeah, who really value their availabilities. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. But back to the point. Sorry for that uh, uh, brief uh, stretch cluster stuff. Um, the interesting topic here is the the two hosts. How do I start small? Um, and there's still quite some customers who are, well, uh, well, where a two host is basically a little bit too much for a specific application or application set that they want to run in VMware Cloud on AWS. And there are scenarios, burst capacity, they're just exactly touching their feet into the water that is a hyperscaler, right? 
Exactly, exactly. And that is one of the reasons why we started working on Cloud Flex Compute. One of the, the things that we uh, announced at last VMware uh, Explore in San Francisco. Uh, let's, and, let's talk about that. What, what is Cloud Flex Compute? Uh, it, great marketing term, but for the oh, customer, right. <laughs> what, 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 what does that actually offer them within this VMC, a CDC deployment? Well, it's, um, it's a little bit more flexibility when it comes to computer resources. <laughs> no, it's, uh, well, actually it is, right? It's, it's the ability for customers to start a little bit smaller while still benefiting from VMware Cloud and AWS. So this is still very much in the works. We're uh, having this, this, um, this early access program that we're actively working on right now. Right. What we're talking about is EA, soon to be GA, but not generally available as of yet. Exactly, exactly. And timelines, well, soon, right? But you know how it is with software, uh, software uh, development. Um, blogs.vmware.com forward slash cloud. I'm sure that the, the minute that it drops and goes GA. Exactly, exactly. The minute, within a second, maybe even. <laughs> Um, but it, it is a really cool new addition to the portfolio, I would argue, because now you'll have a web UI. Not, so you won't have a full vSphere client at your disposal, right? It is web-based where you can instantiate or connect your content library, stuff like that, uh, uh, to instantiate your virtual machines on top of a, a, well, you could almost compare it to vCloud Director, basically, right? It's a little bit different on the back end, but from the main uh, uh, goals that we are trying to achieve is very similar from a customer perspective. So you have your, uh, your dedicated pool of compute resources, both CPU, both memory, um, and you'll have the ability to store uh, to uh, probably uh, um, get a, a fixed capacity of storage uh, you get some public IPs if necessary, or you just use VPN constructs like that, and you're good to go. Nothing fancy, really easy to set up, and it gives you that ability, like I mentioned, to, to start working with VMware Cloud on AWS, but at a very smaller, smaller uh, uh, portion, if you will, without the overhead of your management cluster, et cetera, because that, that was one of the big pain points of smaller customers running on top of VMware Cloud on AWS. Yeah, and Matt, Matt, um, we you know we're constantly trying to figure out how to give the experts some instance of our software in AWS, and we've been having that conversation with the VMUG board as well. Like, how do we get you know community members that used to get unlimited licenses to our software uh, and still do? But then when you start talking cloud service, all of a sudden there's a cost to it. There's It's very difficult to give people. And um, this feature, which you know we've been talking about, uh, preparing for the release of this, something that allows us to give entry-level community members some cloud experience, right? Without having it break our bank, right? And, uh, and that is, this is one of the things we're actually excited about because we might actually get some resolution when it comes to, you know, getting people clou cloud experience without it costing so much and an easier way into the platform. So we're actually excited about it. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Eric. I actually need to connect you guys to uh, the product management who is uh, working on this specific offering because it would be interesting to get insights uh, from the experts as well on this specific platform, right? It's very much on the development. 
Right. And well, yeah. once the they first have, version, they have, uh, we have talked to some product. They have given us those dates and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything because I kind of know uh, the roadmap. So we do have some time to work and pull this together. So yeah, we're going to, we're going nice. to definitely do that. Yeah. We're excited cool. about it because we might actually, me and Corey and Matt have been talking about, you know, how to solve this for about three years now, right? Uh, ever since we basically got into the cloud business. Uh, so yeah, this could be something that allows us to, to make that happen. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is a, that is an essential flex compute model, right? There are other things that are coming out in the you know in the releases that are coming, and I I always struggle with like oh, what does a release mean? How you know like it's a cloud service? Like I struggle with my every time I go to a browser and show up at a SaaS service, it's all a little bit different. And so the idea of releases now are always a little bit challenging. The, you know how I know there's a new release? Something breaks. That's how I figure it out. Right? Like oh, they must have updated and. They broke something, go file a ticket. You know, they're usually responsive of getting it fixed. What's the, you know, I know we're coming out with these new releases. This is particular package, VMCA in a new instance type. What else is, do we expect to be seeing here? Um, so yeah, cloud flex compute. We talked a little bit about that. Right. Uh, we have instance types to, uh, to your point, the I4I instance type, basically replacing the first instance type that we were using with AWS you get certain EC2 bare metal instances, right? We have I3, I3EN for storage heavy, storage capacity heavy workloads, and now the new I4I. So running the latest uh, Intel, well, the third generation Intel Xeon package, uh, a lot more compute power. So we're actually actively, actively working to get customers from a older I3 model into a new I4I model. So that is one. Uh, the other one is another interesting ask when it comes to cloud consumption. Can I scale storage separately from compute? Because with vSAN, vSAN is great, right? But if you need more storage capacity, you need to add more hosts and you may not need the computational power that comes with it. So we have a couple of options actually uh, that we announced and actually G8 as well, which is cloud flex storage, which is if you uh, re-engineer it, it, it's sort of the Datrium um, file system that we use in AWS to instantiate NFS data stores without going into too much detail. And the other option is that we have NetApp uh, FSx within AWS infrastructure, which we already could use in guest as an in guest NFS mount, but we can now also mount that to ESIX IOs. So for that large file server backend, you can now scale storage separately from compute, which is, I think, uh, something that was in high demand by our customers. So, and and next to that, we have uh, we continuously uh, deploy new regions across the globe. Uh, actually, we just GA'd a uh, a new region in uh, Africa, the first one in Africa, which is in Cape Town, and the Middle East is uh, an, another big region for one uh, for us, where which we are planning in Bahrain uh, to have an AWS region enabled for VMware Cloud on AWS. And there's tons of other regions. So things keep on developing. And especially last two years, I would argue, there's a lot of new stuff for this. You know, so if I'm on an existing, so I'm an existing customer, my instances are I3. And I read through the all of the new specs that are out there between the CPU availability, the additional RAM that I that I have for, for per host, the, the amount of storage that's been increased, and 
everything that comes with these I4I instances is attractive to me. How do I go about, it's, I mean, I think about it in on-premises terms, it's a hardware migration, right? And everything that goes along with the hardware migration. But I see some distinctive uh, advantages since this is a IaaS service and all of the orchestration that we have built into the back end to migrate those workloads. So can you walk us through how that, if I'm an, an existing i3i customer and I'm looking at i4, how does that process work? That is a great question, Matt, because we haven't even touched lifecycle management uh, for this platform because that's one of the other big advantages. Customers don't necessarily want to fiddle around with ESXi upgrades, vCenter server upgrades. While we've made that better for on-prem, this is something that you don't even have to worry about with VMware Cloud or in this specific case, VMware Cloud on AWS. So we, uh, I'm actually working on a blog post right now and, uh, and, and a VMA presentation, which will be live for the upcoming virtual event in March 9, I believe. Uh, talking about under the hood lifecycle management for VMware Cloud on AWS. Um, so to the question, we, we have a free of charge service, which is a cluster conversion service. And that is mainly because the i3 node, that is still running a Broadwell CPU package, for example, no hyper-threading enabled. It's not, it's not a really beefy host, right? So because that is end of sales and eventually in a couple of years will be end of support, we are moving customers to the new I4I instance. And that is something that customers don't have to worry about as well. Um, there's a couple of things on the subscription side of things that they need to worry about together with their VMware representative. But from a technical perspective, we are moving them uh, from those older hosts into a new host. We do a lot of pre-checks, um, a lot of things on the back end. Uh, uh, if this would be Greenfield, I've, I'm a Greenfield customer today. Am I getting deployed on i3 or i4? Well, we, the i3 is actually end of sales, so you would be deployed on i4i. That is definitely the go-to instance type today. All right. Yeah. But we have a lot of customers on running on i3, and uh, eventually, uh, during the year, that may take some time, uh, we are moving those customers into i4i. And basically, without going into too much details, we, we add i4i hosts, we have i3 hosts in those clusters, we've emotion all the workloads, remove the i3 hosts, and there you are with your i4i instances. That is the, 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 the short version of it. <laughs> There's a, a lot that goes, uh, goes on in the background, but that's what customers are experiencing. I'm assuming that in the back end that we are setting the VM hardware profiles so that the CPU compatibility between what is an i3 to i4 is seamless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, that is an interesting topic in itself when we talk, for example, EVC and NSV motion compatibility and the usage of that in VMware Cloud on AWS because we don't always enable that on a cluster level per se. Um, and that has been an active discussion for this, uh, this very topic as well. Um, but yeah, that, that, that might be for a different, different episode. Stay tuned to that upcoming blog post and VMUG presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that life cycle stuff, that's actually really interesting how we do that uh, because it's still a SRE triggered process. Uh, and we use a lot of stuff that we have on-prem as well. Think about ESXi Quick Boot, for example. So we don't need a full 
power cycle of an EC2 instance, we just restart the ESXi uh, kernel and that's it. So a lot of these com uh, capabilities to speed up lifecycle management like you would on-prem, but now our SRE team does that for you with uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. Um, so I'll, I'll be putting that, that link out shortly once, I, uh, once we've had that VMUG virtual event presentation beginning of March. I know we're running at the top of the hour, and I believe Matt, you have a hard stop. So um, let's, uh, Matt. I'll give you a minute to to do the uh, wrap up question. We'll talk another minute of e barbecue, and we'll be we'll be done for today. Niels, one thank you for 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 being with us today. And one of the things that we always ask our guests: Are you out there on social media? And if you are, if a listener is interested in hearing these presentations and following along on your blog posts, and maybe joining in on that VMUG presentation that's coming here in March. How did they go about following? Um, probably the easiest way on Twitter, which is the first letter of my first name and my last name. So N Hagort. Um, that's my Twitter N -H -A -G -O -O -R -T. handle. N H A G O O R T. N H A G O O R T. That's the one. That's the one. Um, for the VMUG side, it's probably the best uh, best place to uh, to find the details about that global virtual event. Uh, March the 9th, and some of the other user cons that are coming up. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I have some lined up in the Netherlands, in Denver, actually. Um, I'm looking forward to be at Ex Explore again this year as well. I, I appreciate you running around, uh, traveling to the different VMUGs. It's, uh, uh, Gene Williams and uh, myself are always looking at how are we getting advanced cloud topics uh, at to, to our VMUG community, so appreciate that. Um, yeah, sweet. Um, Thanks a lot for being on the show. As always, we're at uh, on YouTube V Barbecue B A R B B A R B C U E. I don't know Barbecue. Uh, go figure it out. Uh, but go <laughs> there. Give us a follow and a like if you want to see what Nils looks like. You can go there and see his mug, so you know to say hello to him next time you see him. Um, Nils, do you guys do barbecue? Are you in the Netherlands? Are you out of, out of the Netherlands? And if so, do you do barbecue out there? We definitely do barbecue, Eric. We we don't get a lot of sun during the year, I would argue. Uh, we're very much like the UK in that aspect. Now, do you um, build an I, ice barbecue? Is that what you do? You make ice and you hey, put there, on? You can barbecue in the snow as well if you want to, right? Uh, or in the rain. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'm really a barbecue connoisseur uh, preparing barbecue myself, but I do have a very nice barbecue, uh, a hamburger recipe. Uh, uh, um, Way of doing a hamburger, basically. I'm a sucker for a good burger right. and uh, and ribs. I gotta say, yes, where's your favorite burger place in the states? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, ooh, yeah, I haven't been to Texas, so there's that. Um, I kind of like Super Duper Burger in San Francisco. That's the one, the one that stood out to me. Um, in and out. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll I'll take an in and out as well. But uh, I I feel I'm lacking the experience of a real barbecue place in now, the U.S. Now, I, do I they smoke? Do they smoke fish in uh, the Netherlands? Do you guys get a lot of smoked fish? Oh, well, we smoke a lot in the Netherlands, but not fish. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's another topic. Yeah, that's a whole uh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, we, definitely, we do. We do. Um, yeah, nice. I, I don't nice. necessarily do that because I'm not that good at it, I think. I'm good at eating it, though, <laughs> and I enjoy a good barbecue, even fish and smoked fish, yes. There you go. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We're out of time. We'll be back again next week, Wednesday, 
noon to one uh, every week. Uh, Nils, thanks a lot for showing up. Thanks for having me. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.